Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, I want to just welcome everyone. Welcome you all. Thank you for squeezing in here tight. We're try- we do this for Mother's Day simply because... I don't like preaching two sermons back to back. No, um, that is one of the reasons. But second of all, we try to accommodate moms not to have to get up so early, but not to, and then to be able to minister to you all in one group, and then you have your Mother's Day all together. But I also want to welcome those who are joining, joining us uh, via the internet. Um, we're glad that you're here to worship with us today also. And I want to thank my husband uh, for inviting me to preach the word on Mother's Day. Um, Pastor Doug is my favorite preacher. And it's such an honor to serve alongside with him in ministry. So again, thank you very much. Well, as the new year approached, I began to think about picking a word for this year. A word that God would have me to share with you on Mother's Day. Since Mother's Day is the day I generally stand up here behind the pulpit and share from a mother's heart to our church family, some of you older than I am and wiser than I am, others near my age who have probably likely gone through same life experiences or similar that I have, and there are many of you under the sound of my voice that are quite a bit younger than me, and that number is growing every day. But I am just honored to speak into your life the Word of God I have done this now for several years, often hearing the whisper of God into my heart, what to speak to you. However, this year, it seemed I couldn't really hear the voice of God above all the noises in my head. So many voices and words vying for my attention, good words, wise voices, but just not his voice. I felt somehow out of focus. As I laid in the quiet darkness one night before drifting off to sleep, I sensed just below the noisy surface that was going on in my head, not a word this time, but instead a gentle invitation, an invitation to let go of all of life's self-imposed expectations, the expectations of others, and just to sit at his feet, an invitation to put my hand into the hand that was extended to me and walk with him an invitation to stop looking back in regret or worrying about the future and just take one step at a time with him, an invitation to rest in his presence and let service, not all the shoulds that constantly plague me, flow from a growing intimacy with him. The title of my sermon today is Personally Invited. I invite you to sit at his feet, to be still before him, to meditate on his word, to express thankfulness and praise to him. Now, this will require knowledge of what his word says, the willingness to set other things aside, and obedience to follow through. It's obvious that spending time with Jesus will just naturally grow our intimacy with him, but how do we get there? What is keeping us from spending time with Jesus? Bow your head and pray with me, please. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak into our heart and life today. I pray that you will reveal yourself to us so that we will grow deeper into the truth of who you are. In your word, you said, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Lord, we stand here today hungry for your wisdom. 
your understanding and your direction. I pray that others are hungry here. Please feed us as only you can. We ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, first of all, I'd like to address the phrase self-imposed expectations. Exactly what does self-imposed expectations look like in your life? I'm not talking about the occasional event that pops up from a day-to-day routine. I'm not talking about um, just the occasional thing that happens in your life. I'm talking about an ongoing way in life. Decisions that you make day in and day out, over and over again. In my lifetime and in our ministry, I've witnessed firsthand the misinterpretation of what self-expectations look like. Some have even defined God's will for their life as a self-imposed expectation. Now, God has given every believer, every believer talent, ability, and resource to accomplish his will in their life. The gifts and talents and abilities that God gives each one of us, he gives them to us and he uses them in the natural to fulfill the supernatural. I hope to help you identify some of your own self-imposed expectations, but in doing so, I must tell you what self-imposed expectations is not. Self-imposed expectations is not of God. It is not in doing the will of God for your life. Doing what God has called you to do is where you'll find complete fulfillment and complete joy. If you're not doing what God has called you to do, you're likely one of the most unhappiest people. And you're likely to impose on others a critical and judgmental spirit. Now, not always, but sometimes I've heard comments like this. Hey, I've just learned to say no. Have have you guys heard that statement? I've just learned to say no. Well, I'm telling you, in Christ, that is one of the biggest self-imposed lies of our generation, of our adversary, but he would love for us to adopt it as the norm. If every believer adopted this philosophy, the church would be crippled, plans would be thwarted, and it would keep the church from accomplishing kingdom-sized goals, and Satan knows it. You know, in the word it says he's sneaking He's sneaky. He, roam, he goes around seeking whom he may devour. It's not always obvious. Sometimes he just says, just tell him no. Just tell him no. The bottom line is self-imposed expectations in your life ultimately is decided by you. Self-imposed expectations never come from doing God's will. On the contrary, he loves us. He wants what's best for us. But when we fail to sit at his feet, to listen to his directions, when he is not consulted in our day-to-day experiences, in our day-to-day life, then we will listen to every other voice in our lives, and that's when trouble will rear its ugly head. It can happen without being influenced or ordered by others, but because you are flesh and blood, you'll worry about what other people think or what they expect of you, and that alone will drown out the still, small voice of God. So in desperation, you cry out, no, no more. But if you would just take time to learn his voice, to know his voice, you will know with confidence and make decisions that will give you life and life more abundantly, real joy, real fulfillment. It's when you get overwhelmed doing so many, going in so many different directions that your spiritual vision will get blurred. 
Those demands usually come when you're already overwhelmed, overworked, or at your weakest state of mind, and then you lose sight of even where the voices are coming from, where the demands are coming from, and you'll get angry with everyone in your path. You'll accuse everyone in your path simply because you haven't recognized that you're the one that allows self-expectations in your life. I know I may not be very popular with this statement, but I believe one of the biggest culprits of self-imposed expectations is social media. Mm-hmm. You preach it, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we live in a day that social media is the biggest form of connection. While social media can be used for good, it helps us to stay connected. It, men- it can minister the love of Christ, but it also has its pitfalls, and it can pose a real detriment to our way of thinking. On social media, we see people post their best pictures, their best ideas, their best well-thought-out plans, their fun events, and the list just goes on and on. But here's the truth. You view the best of their life and compare it to, against the worst of your life. And I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a little bit here. Social media is available 24-7, and I'm convinced that some people live on social media. I sometimes wonder, do they have time for anything else? Do they really enjoy the actual touch? Are they really enjoying the event that they're at? It's like their whole life revolves around letting the world know just how wonderful everything is in their life and at such a rapid pace. Even before you have time to process one post, here comes another one. And in that state of mind, we can lose sight of what's really important in life. That's the end of my soapbox, okay? I'm down from it. So... You can, you can throw stones at me. That's just my opinion. And, but we are just bombarded with social media. And you might think, well, that's not me. I don't even have time to get on social media. But wait, not so fast. Just because you're not on social media, there are many other things that will vie for your attention. See if any of these define you. Climbing a corporate ladder. Friends taking you in wrong directions or maybe even some friends that are just taking all your time. Sports, money, focus on the money or the focus on the lack thereof. Hobbies, TV, shopping, your family, even your home. And I'm not saying any of these things in and of themselves is wrong, but it's dangerous when they begin to overwhelm you and then you say no to the voice of God. The only thing that I see in God's word that he is telling us to say no to is sin. I cannot find anywhere. I looked all over. Is there anywhere else you're telling us to learn to say no? It was just to sin. God longs for us to sit at his feet, to listen to his voice because he loves us. He knows what's best for us. And when we sit at his feet, we will say yes to what we are to do And he will enable us to stay focused, on track, and balanced. So you see how important it is to spend time at Jesus' feet? Neglecting time at his feet, it will get you off balance in your walk. It'll be easy to blame everyone, even God, for our own actions. It's not a matter of saying no. The sad thing is I think the average American Christian already has that down pretty pat. 
It's a matter of the heart. I'm not saying to say yes to every voice that asks you for your time, your efforts, your talents, even within the church. It's knowing his voice, spending time at his feet, in his word, time in prayer, time in meditating on his word, and it will enable you to stand with confidence that you will do what God would have you to do. And when you think, I've done so much and I need rest, you know, there's even a directive in God's word for those times that we need rest. And remember in his word when he returns and those believers that have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and made him Lord of their life, they're going to stand before him and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into rest. We've got a work to do. We've got work to do before night comes. Night's coming when no man can work. Just read John 9, 4. Night is coming when no man will work. Now is the time to work. Now is not the time to sit back and wait. God never intended for any of us to sit back and let someone else do what God has called us to do. God longs for each of us to know his will and his plan for our life. If you long for the presence of God in your life, you must restore first commandment to your life in the first place. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And in his presence, this must be the primary desire of your heart. You won't reach success if you don't try. You will never reach success if you try to shortcut your time with God. If you think, oh, I'll just do it in the car on the way to work, or I'll just do it uh, right before I go to bed, or I'll just I'll spend five minutes with him this morning. I got five minutes. You've got to purpose time alone with God. It won't cut it. You will not reach success. It will get you in trouble. And be careful of what you call God's direction in your life. When you're not really spending time that, God, that you should be with God, then you're going to even confuse God's direction in your life. David, in the Word of God, he learned this lesson the hard way. Um, God has been really bringing me through a lot of study with David, and it's, it's just a powerful study. I encourage you guys to get into the Word and study the life of David. But I believe every scripture in the Word of God is for our benefit, lessons to help us learn to avoid pitfalls. In Old Testament times, the Ark of the Lord represented God's presence in the Israelites' life. Now, today, God has given us the Holy Spirit to confirm his presence in our life. But in David's time, it was called the Ark of the Lord. That was a confirmation that the Lord's presence was there. It says here in 1 Chronicles 13, 1 through 4, David consulted with his officials, including the generals and the captains of the army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messages to all the Israelites through the land, including the priests and the Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come in and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this, for the people could see it was the right thing to do. It was right to bring God into our presence. But how are you trying to do it? Let's move down into verse 7. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house. Uzzah and Eo were guiding the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating for, before God with all their might, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. We can get busy even worshiping God and saying we're following God. They did it here. 
But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had laid his hand on the ark. So Uzzah died there in the presence of God. David was angry because God's anger had burst out against Uzzah. But we read further down into chapter 14 that even God took Uzzah's life, and David got, um, that David got angry with God, but God never left David, and David still communed with God. Even after all that had happened, David consulted God. You know, it says up there in chapter 14 that he got angry with God, but or earlier up in uh, chapters, or verse 7, but down in uh, verse 14, it talks about how David continued to commune with God and God never left him. David consulted God about conquering the Philistines and God told him, go ahead, I'll hand them over to you. And he did. Go ahead. And he says, David and his troops defeated the, Philistine, um, the Philistines there. David said with excitement, God did it. He said, he used me to burst through the raging, my enemies like a raging flood. And later in the chapter, when the Philistines, they didn't learn their lessons and they returned again to raid the valley, David again consulted God. And David gave him details. Uh, David, uh, God gave David details about how he was to attack them again. And it said David did what God commanded. David really learned God's voice, didn't he? And they struck down the Philistine army. So David didn't allow his hurt or his anger to cut off communion with God. God knows your hurts. God knows your disappointments. He knows if you've been angry with him. I've been there. I've been there. I wish I could say that's not part of my spiritual resume, but I've been angry with God. And when I read about men and God's word and see that I'm in company with David, that David got angry. He knows then, he knows now, who really wants to be in his presence. He knows if you want him or do you, if you desire other things more than him. He knows. Sorry, Brent. He told us in his word that in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure and things. And that's the day we live in. You can't get around God's word. God says he knows that in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasures and things. So you're not catching him off a of guard, but he hasn't left us. He still continues to call out to you today, even through this message, to say, I'm here. I've not gone anywhere. I've never left you or forsaken you. I'm here. Please come and sit at my feet. If you recognize yourself as one going all week long, never thinking about God, not thinking about the things of God, I urge you to get on your knees today and ask him to stir the desires in your heart. I remember as a child growing up in, in service, I, I was raised in Pentecost my whole life. And I remember sitting on a chair and those services sometimes, especially Sunday night, would go to 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, um, but I remember a song that was sung called Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. It goes like this, pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, 
do not pass me by. Back in the day, they knew that you had to call upon the Lord as he was passing. He's passing us by today. This word has come to you today, not because of who I am, not because of what I know. It's because he loves you so much. And he wants you to seek him, to know who he really is, so that you will trust his voice to direct your life. It's not about attending every conference that comes into town. It's not about how often you're in church. It's about spending time, personal time, alone time at his feet daily. It will bring balance into your life. If you think, oh, I don't have time to sit down at God's feet. Doesn't he see all these things I got to do? He knows that my day starts already at 5 o'clock. Start at 4.30. Don't let the enemy get one over on you. We're going to stand next to people like John Wesley's mother, who had had, I believe it was 19 babies, and several of them had died. But, and she lived in a one-room house. Her husband had went off the deep end and had actually went to a, um, a mental hospital for a while. And so she had all these kids. But one hour a day, John Wesley and his brothers knew, don't bother mama, she's in prayer. And that apron was just up over her head talking to the Lord. We're going to stand next to those kind of ladies. We need to spend time with the Lord so he will bring. And then everything else will be added. It says in this word, Everything else will be added into your life. When Uzzah died by touching the ark, it said David got angry and became afraid of God. Been there. Um, Can you relate? Some of you relate? Like I said, David continued to go to God. Read it for yourself. He did not quit on God. In fact, after this happened, David prepared a place for the ark of God. David longed for the presence of God. I believe within each one of our souls, Everyone longs for that relationship with their creator. But just wanting that relationship won't make it happen. Going to every amazing conference in town won't make it happen. Just going to church once or twice a week alone, it won't make it happen. Admitting that you even want the fellowship, speaking it, won't make it happen. You have to act on it. Sitting at his feet, that will build relationship. It will keep the relationship alive and healthy, and help you identify self-imposed expectations. We finished the story of David down in chapter 15, and in chapter 15, he got it right. He began to give orders on how the ark was to be moved. He summoned all the priests, and here's what he says beginning in verse 12. He said to them, you are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and your fellow Levites, so that you can bring the ark of the Lord to the God of Israel, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. David didn't blame everyone else. David recognized his poor decisions. He recognized his need to get before a holy God. Because David consulted God, he knew there was a time, a place, and a people who were to move the ark. He recognized that initially, he acted on self-imposed ideas, self-imposed expectations. He had good intentions, just not direction from God. 
and this caused trouble in David's life. Self-imposed expectations will get us all into trouble every time. If we continue to act in our own ideas without consulting our God, we'll lose sight of the truth. And the bottom line is, we're all going to get ourselves in a heap of trouble. But when we sit at Jesus' feet, when we have regular fellowship with God, then and only then will you live a life of true worship. And when I say live a life of worship, oh, we can worship God publicly. We did beautifully here today, corporately here today. But it's in the private arena of our lives that truly determines the depth of our worship, our walk with Christ. We may fool people around us for a while, but the one who counts is never fooled. The need, we need the presence of God in our lives today more than ever before. The last days, the warfare that we are facing is a spiritual battle on a grand scale. It's not going to get better. We can continue to pray, and I urge you to continue to pray. But this world is not going to get better. The Bible tells us it's not going to get better. But please pray, because God's looking at your heart to talk to him. If you don't practice sitting in his presence, if you don't have real fellowship with Christ, I'm here to tell you, this might sound doomsday, but you won't make it. So know that when you stand before a holy God, I told you, if you don't sit at his feet, if you don't practice real relationship with Christ, you won't make it. The word of God says that spiritual battles are his to fight. But if we don't know his voice, if we don't sit at his feet, you will try with all your might to fight the battles, the battles of self-imposed expectations, spiritual battles, and I'm here to warn you, it's a losing battle. You cannot do it on your own. With God, he will fight our battles. It takes spiritual weapons to overcome a spiritual enemy. Sitting at Jesus' feet to know his voice, it's praise and worship. Those are the weapons that will defeat our enemies. So today I ask you to be honest with yourself. Where do you stand? Are you wrapped up in the cares of this world? Are you consumed about things that aren't even eternal? Or do you long to have a hunger to sit at his feet, to find truth, to find understanding, peace and direction for your life, to know his voice? We won't have to worry about whether the church is going to be ministered to, those people coming in in our community that don't know Christ, because you're going to have a balanced life, and you're going to do the work of Christ because he's going to speak into your life what to do. I really, I really want to, you to understand that worship must be often, not just here at church. It must be in your home, in your quiet time, so he, because he longs for us to know his thoughts, his ways. I want to see and experience life from God's perspective, and I pray you do too. Taking time to sit at his feet will give you that right perspective to worship the one true God. It's where we learn his thoughts and really receive his love, really understand his love. When you're in his presence, no matter what you face, you won't give up, you won't give in, but you will look up and you will look within. And you'll realize that the battle is not yours. It's his. Now, time is coming to a close. And I'm not just speaking about the service, but our lives here on earth are about to come to a close. Psalms 39, 4 and 5 says, David speaking again. Remember, we've been talking about David. 
Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Now remember, people back then lived a lot longer than we do now. This is David speaking. My entire lifetime is but a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. It's time to sit at his feet. It's time to make that commitment. Won't you accept a personal invitation today, tomorrow, every day? This is not just a sermon to say, I, I went to church on Mother's Day. I heard that God needs my time. I'm praying that this will really speak to your heart to say, I need to make that commitment. I'd like to have everyone to please stand in this congregation. And if we could have our altar workers, please come to the front. I know it's Mother's Day, and there, ex there are expectations of what your day is to be like. But before you hurry off, I want you to take a moment to listen to this invitation. Quiet those noises in your minds. Stop thinking about what's going to happen when I leave out of here. I know, moms, you're going to pick up your gift. But I want you to, before even thinking about everything that you've got to do after this, to go pick up your children, whatever it is, today I extend an invitation to let go of all the self-imposed expectations and sit at his feet. An invitation to put your hand into the hand of the one who knows what's best for you. An invitation to stop looking back in regret or worrying about the future and just take one step at a time with him. An invitation to rest in his presence and let service, not all the shoulds that constantly plague you, flow from a growing intimacy with him. In a moment, I'm going to open these altars, and there are gentlemen and lady that is here to agree with you in prayer, but you might want to just come up and make an altar and just talk to the Lord. You might want to just make an, with the, the service being this full, you might want to just make an altar at your seat, but I urge you to come before the Lord. When you come and agree with somebody, maybe you want an accountability partner. It says one will put a thousand to flight, two will put 10,000 to flight. There, you might have a need in your life. As Pastor Doug always states every Sunday, your most important need is your relationship with God. And I believe God burdened my heart to share this with you from a mother's heart to say you need to spend time with him. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.